Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. We wanted to do a urine review show, but Kevin Godby didn't want to pee in a cup. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Ooh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you as the days of Christmas are past and New Year's is coming upon us. And it's been colder than, uh, well, it's been cold here. Uh, but on this week's episode, so I sat down this past Saturday with my uh, Saturday Zoom group and asked those that were on two questions. So this entire show, including pipe parts, is going to be my uh, Saturday Zoom group answering these two questions and, you know, just listening and getting opinions and thoughts. Uh, and then we'll uh, finish off holiday music and mailbag and rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh and remember please keep sharing out the pipes magazine radio show wherever you are uh what'd you get for christmas anything pipe related uh any pipe tobaccos or pipe or tins of tobaccos or uh pipes yeah let me know uh you know my my family knows better than to buy me anything pipe or tobacco related because well it's going to cause problems. Um, however, I did get a I did get a Disney book that I have uh, dove right into and am enjoying it. And I don't know how I didn't get it already. So happy about that. Um, yeah. So what'd you get for Christmas? What'd you do for Christmas? Did you get a chance to uh, you know sit down with your pipe and just reflect on the season and you know hopefully get away from uh, hustle and bustle because you know this is kind of the first real. Uh, normal Christmas in a few years for a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have to travel anywhere, so that was nice, but uh, I did see that there were some travel nightmares out there, so hopefully your pipe was comfort for you. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. Uh, 
All right, here we go. So it, so again, I asked this of my Zoom group, nine or ten of us, can't remember exactly. Uh, and I'll intro, and as I go around, I introduce each one, and you get the first question, and then the second question. I'll just put the commercial breaks in where where they fit, no uh, transitions or anything. So you just get the whole stream of it, minus the little breaks in between. So here we go, me uh, sitting around on Christmas Eve with my uh, Saturday Zoom group. So as a bit of a tradition, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago I hung out with you guys and we recorded a Christmas show and you know now we'll we'll do this one between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so here's the first question, and I think I'll take the first question to the most senior person on the uh, on the panel. So um, Professor Dr. Fred Janusik. Um, in, in your expert opinion, and this is the question that was posed by, uh, by Jim, at what point did blends begin to improve? When did, when did pipe smoking go from a mass market item to a luxury item? Uh, when did you see the market change in how tobacco was produced or sold? Um, you know, <laughs> That's that's not an easy question for me to answer. <laughs> Should be, but it but it's not. I started in nineteen sixty seven or sixty eight. I went to E One Rees. They had lots of blends and the Dunhill blends. And I su suspect it was probably another ten years before I really realized that there was a, a lot more out there. So for me, it would probably be in the late late seventies that. I began to try other blends from different shops and things like that. But uh, I guess that's about as close as I can come. Uh, and Fred, do you remember the first time you saw a McClellan tin or a Cornell and Deal tin on the shelf? And, and what did you? No, I don't. No. McClellan. Well, I don't have a very good memory, I guess. <laughs> I I really don't. I would I would get if I were guessing, I would guess sometime in the nineties, but uh I I wouldn't swear to that at all. <laughs> all right. And we'll uh, we'll move down to Tad Gage who has written about the industry and is another doctor of pipes, you know, another pretentious doctor of pipes here. <laughs> uh Tad, do you do you remember when you saw a transition of it from kind of mass market to a specialty item, and what did, what did you think the first time you saw McClelland and a whale? What the hell is that about? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, I I didn't smoke in the '60s or '70s. Obviously, I'm a little too young for that. But um, you know, I th I think the the Blends like the regular blends, the po really super popular blends, whether it's like Mixture 79 or <clears throat> Captain Black or uh, a half and half Prince Albert. I mean, I think those kind of were strong all along. But I, I and I think parallel to that was were always kind of the um, the more boutique blends mm -hmm. like the Capstan or. Uh, three nuns or baby's bottom. So, you know, I think they really were parallel kind of all along, but, but I think probably the, 
the shift uh, toward, you know, more more of the available, I guess you would call it boutique blends or something. I I would say in the in the eighties sometime. Um, and you know, I I actually my first introduction to McClellan was, to be honest, uh, big five pound bags of tobacco that uh, that I that I bought from uh, <laughs> that I bought from McClellan to blend my my three oaks tobacco. So I didn't actually uh, see a tin, and and then Barry Levin started coming out with uh, the, the, um, his, his signature blends, like personal, the personal reserve blends and, and stuff. So, so then I got very familiar with the, uh, McClellan whale. And of course, too, Craig Tarler was doing Cornell and deal. Uh, I think kind of about that time started in the late eighties, early nineties. So I guess I kind of agree with Fred a little bit there. I, I think that kind of the momentum started shifting in the early nineties. Now, let me ask you this, Tad, and thank God we're both out of the industry now because uh, I, I would be shot for asking this question, and your answer is going to be interesting. But you've done a ton of tobacco reviews, a ton of them. Can you really detect a – I mean, is there really a detectable level of nuance or difference between all the different – uh, you know, Virginia's and we'll pick on McClellan cause they're out of business and not here anymore. Uh, but like all the, that, the Oriental series, the old green cans, can you really detect a, a noticeable difference between the different blends? I, I sure can. Uh, you know, I, I, not only the blends because of the combination of the tobaccos, but certainly between the various manufacturers too, some of which yeah. I think has to do with, the quality of the leaf that uh, they're they're either able or willing to get, um, you know that that makes a big difference. But I think the skill of the blender make, you know, makes it makes a huge difference. And there really are some pretty subtle nuances, you, you know, like a Joe Langford at the uh, who did the Seattle Pipe Club blends before he passed, um, and. You know, so, yeah, I, I mean, I would say there's definitely a, a noticeable difference, a, a little scotch of this or a, a pinch of that uh, in the formula can um, make a significant difference. Or just even in uh, Oriental tobaccos, like mentioned the Grand Orientals, I mean, there's Virginia in there, how much Virginia was in there, the type of leaf that was used, whether it was Caterini, whether it was Smyrna, Drama. You know, that that all, to me, makes a huge difference. All right. Now, let, let's go to the one of the younger panelists and one that's in a completely foreign country and is taking, as we're recording this, is taking time away from his Christmas morning. Uh, Rob, I, I mean, you haven't been smoking a pipe all that long, so you kind of came into it after all these boutique blends or all these little crafters are doing their thing but what do you do you think there was a transition period um what are your thoughts on it do you have any thoughts on it um i i'm a bit of a sort of a tobacco enthusiast not just in so far as that i like smoking it but i really enjoy the history of it as well um i i'm seeing 
I see a lot of references to a lot of the old school houses, you know, the Gowarth, Hogarths, the Samuel Gowarths, the, you know, the, the McBarrens and Scandinavians and mm-hmm. obviously Dunhill. And I, I guess the best that I can make of it is that I think they tried to accommodate for both pedestrian kind of, you know, drugstore tobaccos and, you know, pouch tobaccos. And then they sort of saw a market for, um, you know, higher end. And the same thing happened in cigars. You know, you could get the the Scandinavian or those sort of uh, cigarillo kind of things. And then you could get more premium cigars. And the best that I could make is that they tried to accommodate for uh, all of the market possibilities there with more premium tobaccos. Um, as the taxes started increasing, it looked like that <laughs> yeah. they were going to start having to focus on a market. Um, but I think that uh, it still exists today. Like you, you do get uh, the different tiers of or, or categories of tobaccos who accommodate different smokers. And uh, I think McBarren do a really good job of that. Um, you can get their entry-level pouch tobaccos and you can, you know, <laughs> you can get towards their cap stands, which are rolling at nearly $20 US a tin. Um, there's different, everyone's accommodated for. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah. that's my observation of the industry. This is Internet Radio. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mielefalje, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. All right, and then we'll go to uh, uh, George Debo's pipe restoration expert extraordinaire. And George, you've been around the pipe hobby for and pipe tobacco for a while. What do you think? Oh, I'm actually a bad person to ask the question of because my experience is not typical. By dumb luck, the manager at the store that I first went into uh, <laughs> was uh, the the guy who started McClellan. Uh, <laughs> the, he was an employee of... Uh, Fred Diebel and managed one of his stores in Kansas city. And I was home on uh, military leave. My birthday was coming up. My dad said, uh, time for you to get a pipe. And we went down there and the person who set me up was, uh, yeah, Carl Ewa, who was an authority on the subject later wrote a book about it. And so I was in the, uh, the artisanal side of the blending thing from day one. I never did shop at a grocery store or, or smoke what are known as today as OTC tobaccos. So, so your first, your, your first car was, your first car was a Ferrari. <laughs> in, in smoking terms, that is, yeah, it's a, 
it was it was like lottery odds luck and uh but it did keep me uh from spending several years swimming around trying to find my way he pointed me in a good direction right <clears throat> off the bat and i never uh and that's i suppose that's why i i stuck with it uh so there's such a high dropout rate with most new pipe smokers yeah. but i thought what what's so this is this is great from the get-go of course i didn't know the my my circumstances compared to everybody else well and now we'll go to somebody who is on a public school salary and is dressed up currently like santa claus except the beard's <laughs> a little short but uh he's yeah. the honorary director of uh, music for the pipes magazine radio show so dino what do you think was there a transition period that you noticed somewhere yes i did and <clears throat> I started smoking before most of these guys. I started in 1960 when I was a teenager. And I started smoking crap at Sicily. Uh, <laughs> cookie jar and, you know, Mixture 79 and Flying Dutchman and all of those. And it wasn't until I uh, ran into a, a, a friend of mine, friend of the family, uh, who became my pipe mentor and said, hey, stop smoking that crap. Go over to Cellini's and see what they've got. I had been buying tobacco from Ewan Reese and I went to Cellini's and they had jars of tobacco and you could mix your own blends and that's about the first time I started noticing that there was other stuff and I think I would have to say that maybe the mid 80s or so when the pipe shows started a lot of people got to see just an incredible amount of blends and people started getting into pipes I know that there were people smoking Dunhill and other uh, boutique blends prior to that, but you know it was a very very small community, and I think the explosion of pipe shows helped the uh, the growth of this boutique industry. You would go into the pipe show, <clears throat> and there would be Craig Tarler with all of his tobaccos and Mike McNeil with all of his tobaccos, and you would see all these tobaccos and get a taste of them. And see, whoa, this is better. This is way better than this stuff that's been cooking my tongue. And I think that's uh, probably at that time is when it really started to explode. They were there, but most starting pipe smokers didn't get involved in it. They were, you know, chased away, as uh, George said, with, uh, you know, blends that would tar your tongue. And uh, then we started smoking more. Uh, boutique blends and I think it part of it was the pipe shows and the explosion of pipes and tobaccos in the in the 80s and uh, uh, I, I first ran into uh, McClellan's at uh, the Chicago show and uh, Dino, I've been smoking that for a while yeah Dino let me ask you this what did you <clears throat> think of the price of mcclellan's when after you went from smoking mixture 79 and three star blue to smoking yeah. mcclellan i mean how'd you handle that because that was a jump yeah it was it was a jump i mean it was only about a dollar but it was a jump and you know in the 70s <clears throat> um you know you could buy balkan sobrani for a buck and a quarter you know for a tin and i started smoking balkan sobrani early and then it started to get expensive and people, but people weren't smoking like uh, the old days, you know, like some of the codgers would smoke a pipe day and night, smoke a, a corn cob filled with, uh, you know, with half and half or, you know, Prince Albert. 
And but the the explosion in boutique pipe smoking, I would say, when the shows started coming around and when there was a much more uh, concentrated interest, people were willing to pay a little bit more and smoke a little bit less. Yeah. All right. And then we'll go to uh, Neil Osborne, who is in the middle of cooking at the same time. And he's also the uh, the new <clears throat> one of the newly minted masters of pipes. Uh, if you're not following him on Instagram, you're an idiot. It's in pod one Oh one. Neil, you haven't been at this as long as others, but I'd still love to hear your opinion of when did it, you know, when's that transition in your mind and what do you think? Others. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I don't know. All I can say really at my, my uh, decade of pipe smoking um, and 20 year history of cigars total prior to that is, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Um, yeah. That's that's really sums up my part in this journey. If you look at a bell curve, I'm over on the right side. Um, <clears throat> so I can't speak to when you know drugstore changed, when boutique changed, um, or came into play. I I just know as a student of history, as you guys know, I do a lot of history work. You know, it yeah. it does seem like McClellan and Greg Peace both kind of brought in that that je ne sais quoi of. Uh, of something other than a blending house, um, you know, do it on your own kind of attitude, um, not just big tobacco. Um, my own journey pretty much just focuses on McClellan. I just remember for the first quite a few years, I, I kind of ignored McClellan. Um, I was more interested in esoterica and all the stuff the internet told me I was supposed to chase. And, you know, Frog Morton was just there and Christmas cheer was just there and it was kind of like, oh, it was always available on the shelf every time you went to a, a tobacco store. You know, I've been at this long enough that I know some stores that were brick and mortar and you'd go in and McClellan's was always on the shelf. It wasn't like uh, unobtainium, you know, like you'd never see esoterica there. And then it's gone and you realize, wow, it had changed. Um, so my journey's more, you know, it changes based on modern times, but I can't speak to when it changed as far as an industry. But don't and always stop and enjoy the moment you're in, kids. Right, Neil? Yep. I think I think that's the message. I mean, essentially, that's what you're asking: is when did things change, and did you notice that? Um, a lot of people here have been at this much longer than me, and that's why I love this Zoom. I mean, the, the vast amount of experience, yeah. you know, between all of us and the rabbit holes we go into. But uh, I mean, you're really looking at a historical journey that answers the same question: something changed. Then you have to ask when and why and how and i think we're in that transition right now that's where i'm at is looking at I, I mean the bigger thing is since mcclellan quit if i was to write a tobacco book right now it would be life after mcclellan i mean that's kind of and then COVID happened right after that so you know looking at the this decade of the 2020s we're really looking at what happened after the big change and that's to me a defining moment that i'm participating in Yep. All right, now since we had a youngster in uh, in Neil, we'll go to Pete Rothenberg. Uh, Pete is, grew up in Brooklyn. In fact, Pete, you came over uh, on one of those New Amsterdam ships, didn't you, in the seventeen hundreds? Uh, well, I, I I might have. Uh, but <laughs> uh, to, add, to answer your question, uh, I started smoking in nineteen sixty two, and. A lot of people look back into the 60s and 70s and say, oh, my God, that was the, the era for great tobacco. 
And I disagree with that because we couldn't get most tobacco here in the United States. There was no Samuel Gallus, no Gallus at yeah. Haggard. There was no rat race. There were not really a lot of tobaccos that, that run the European market. You couldn't get them in the United States. McClellan was a revolution in 1977 that showed us exactly what great tobacco really, really was. And it was absolutely fabulous. Uh, At first, all we had was the uh, brown numbers and and the green numbers, and they were great. And years later, he, he tripled himself, quadrupled himself in making these things. Uh, the golden age of tobacco really to me was like maybe, uh, began in the early 1990s and went until maybe about 2010 when the two things happened. Uh, One right away, the government started uh, harassing the uh, tobacco makers and with that uh, Dunning Law, uh, uh, Deeming Law, excuse me. And uh, then later on, we had COVID and it set the world up for the fact that we can't get those tobaccos anymore, especially for what's happened in the tobacco industry, which you can't get Virginia anymore. That is, it's like the Virginia that, that Mike and Mary had. They just don't have it. And Mike knew that. And I think that's part of the reason that he got out. So the answer to it is we have some old tobacco. We can afford to make a, a, a 2000 uh, a can lot of this and you're never going to see it again get out there and rush and buy it and that's the way it's come today because those factors have done it for us you can't depend on a lot of pl- uh, uh, blends anymore because it, it, it's not the same tobacco it really isn't i opened up a can of allen 14 not the same as it was they can't get to virginia so, so we're in the now but Pete, we also know that you love the HU tobaccos, and there's uh, so I'm assuming from also what you said that you like some of the small batch, some of the limited release stuff that's coming out. Um, well, HU has changed. I've gotten several mixtures in in the past two or three, four months that were not like the originals. Uh, Director's Cut was one of them. Big change. I just wanted to uh, uh, open a new can of Jadamid. Everything changed. The entire look of the tobacco changed because they must have a new machine now that they're using because they did that to uh, uh, to other tobaccos too uh, that made that flake in a, in a big continuous roll. So you, you can't you can't trust anybody's quality today. I think basically. They can't get the tobaccos that they could even have gotten two, three, four years ago. So, so once again, you're saying enjoy the moment that you have because don't know what's next. Uh, well, yeah, pretty much. And I, I, you know, that's as direct as I can answer your question. Yeah. Take a look at your pipe rack. Are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation? Or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. 
Then, we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit, valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. All right, and now we go to the to the retired pipe restoration extraordinaire bundled <laughs> bundled up like he lives in Nanook of the North's uh, backyard. Uh, Ronnie B from Tennessee, or as I call him, Uncle Ronnie B. Uh, you, but you've only been in th at this for twenty something years now. So, when do you think the change was? Do you think there was a change? Well. Um uh, during the golden years that uh, Dino and Pete referred to, uh, you know, the uh, an years of antiquity, um, I was oblivious. I tried a, a brief foray into pipe smoking in the 70s when my wife was going to college because I wanted to look like I was uh, appropriate in those social circles. And it, it was a total disaster as far as smoke mm -hmm. uh, enjoyment. And needless to say, the divorce put a kibosh to that. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, in the late 90s, um, uh, well, no, it was actually in 2000, uh, I had an opportunity to try uh, a pipe after nearly killing myself with cigarettes. And fortunately, I had a, a pipe mentor who had a lot of experience with pipe smoking and tobaccos and uh, he made up a little uh, starter kit for me, a couple of basket pipes, a uh, little pouch, uh, lighter, tamper, the whole nine yards. And um, he was admittedly a McClellan guy, but he had me start on McClellan's 2050, which is an Oriental Cavendish. And uh, the sweetness of that, uh, you know, put the hook into me. But I kept hearing about this... Uh, this one blend called 5100. 5100. What is this 5100? And uh, one day I thought, all right, I'll, I'll try some. And uh, I, I, uh, I bought an ounce bag of it. Uh, and uh, we would meet frequently at the local pool hall. And I was just, just oh, just glorious about how wonderful this was. And uh, I smoke it in one of my little basket pipes. And he said, you need to try this in a real pipe. So he pulls out a Conovitz pot, <laughs> loads it up properly with 5,100, says, here, smoke this. And I swear <laughs> it was a burning bush experience. <laughs> I mean, it was like, oh, my God, what have I been missing all these years? And <clears throat> for me, the story has been uh, education and uh, awareness. Because I was not aware of all the, the different, uh, the depths of tobacco uh, blending, smoking, uh, the care of a pipe and all this stuff. And uh, I started uh, searching a lot like, like Neil's doing now. And um, one of the things I learned was that uh, at that time and up till maybe about oh, 
Well, when uh, the government quit uh, paying for uh, tobacco allotments, you know, compensation to farmers, uh, tra traditional tobacco harvesting was when the leaves start getting ripe, they all go out and handpick the bottom leaves. Then a little bit later on, they'd pick the middle leaves. Then they'd pick the top leaves when they were ripe. And that was the source leaf for the blends that were made. Today, it's all mechanized where they have the machines come through. And when they start with the plants start looking like they're ready, boom, the entire plant gets stripped. So you've got just a, a, a mishmash of tobacco uh, ripeness in the source leaf, which, uh, you know, doesn't bode well for any kind of uh, uh, manufacturing. But um, part of my, as part of my education, uh, back in seven, Ed Gage and Mike McNeil had a, an, a, a tobacco aging experiment. I'm uh, going to put on uh, uh, in the pipe tobacco pipes and tobacco magazine. And, uh, I had already been kind of just checking out, you know, older tobaccos because I heard about Virginia aging, but that um, that episode in P and T. Uh, turned another light bulb on uh -oh. about the aging and the, you know, what they call the Maillard process about how tobacco can get better like fine wines. So I started checking that out to get a little bit more understanding and then go back to 5100. I've been able to acquire some tins of 1993 McClellan's 5100, which I still have a few. And Christmas cheer, various uh, years of uh, other 5100. And the most remarkable thing that I found is how consistent Mike McNeil could keep that blend over 25 years. There is so little change in that blend because he wanted the top quality leaf. His buyers knew what kind of leaf he wanted. And uh, they could uh, give him what he needed for his process. And uh, for anybody to be able to keep a particular blend consistent for that long a time, to me, is, is like the holy grail of tobacco manufacturing. So um, I, I don't know about the market, because once I got hooked on McClellan, I never left. And I won't let anybody see my stash. But uh, <laughs> That's why I call uh, you, you know, Uncle Ronnie B. Uh -huh. But the thing is, the market can come and go and the market can go anywhere. But my ability to understand the taste of good tobacco, to me, is the key. Uh, I don't know what's out there now because I really don't care. I don't have to buy another gram of tobacco the rest of my life. But uh, I do know this thing. Uh, this, I'm smoking some 1996 Christmas cheer right now as I speak. And uh, it's one of the best ex experiences I can ever ask for uh, because it was done right the first time. So, uh, you know, the new new pipe smokers are really at a disadvantage, a terrible disadvantage, because they have to pay uh, art collector prices for good tobacco now if they want to try it. But, uh, it's but at the same at the same time, don't you think also if they find something that they like now, it's going to age and it's going to get better. So they should jump on whatever they can of it to get it and keep it. 
it can it can get better but uh i asked mike mcneil about this one time about the tobacco and he said if it's good leaf to start with it'll age nicely if not if it's shit to start with it'll stay shit <laughs> all right on that note we'll switch over for the uh, the last one on here the only one that is uh, almost as dumb as my wife because Dave said, yeah, I'll partner with you on a pipe show and put up with your crap and I'll sign up. Sure. Let's do it. So <laughs> Dave Peterson, first of all, bless you. And you're willing to do it again next year, which is even, I'm, I'm worried about you. Um, but, uh, all right, Dave, when did you see the, you know, when did, when did you see all these boutique blends coming in and what did you think of them? And when, when did you kind of see the market switch over? Well, first of all, thank you very much for working with me and we had a great <laughs> show and a great time and I can't wait for next year and uh, wish all your listeners a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. But I grew up in a you know small city. So my uh, experience was, um, just in the drugstore and it, yeah. they had the very limited blends, but they had the one Hugh Hefner smoked. So that's the one I smoked mixture 79. But then in the, uh, I would say in the early eighties, we got a book world, uh, bookstore chain that came to town mm -hmm. and they carried the Yulee's blends. And, um, mm. I didn't think much of them cause they didn't come in the luxury pouch, like the, uh, like the mixture 79 and the truce and the, um, and the captain blacks and stuff. So I thought those look kind of down, down market, but, uh, uh, it was, um, it was the Yulee, it was the Yulee's tobacco in the, uh, in the bookstores. But I, I really, I used to go, oh, I'd always go to the, uh, um, Tinderbox in Southdale Mall in uh, suburban Minneapolis, and so I would see all those exotic blends, but they they just didn't really register to me. So I I really don't know when I you know for me it was basically drugstore to to seeing the Yulee's blends at the uh, Book World shops. Wow, yeah, imagine a bookstore selling pipe tobacco now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, just for uh, in order for uh, Neil to uh, fit time into in, into his cooking schedule, uh, Neil Osborne, what are you looking forward to pipe wise in twenty twenty three? I think twenty twenty three is for me about the community. Um, if I've learned one thing through COVID and Zoom meetings and pipe shows and getting back to a pipe show. 2021 um, was the first time we had one back uh, in Ohio. You know, it just made me realize how important the community is. And I, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately about cigars versus pipes, kind of writing an essay on the topic, to be honest. And I think one of the things that defines the uh, a, a cigar smoker versus a pipe smoker is the community aspect of pipes. Um, it's really hard to put in words because I'm not a great writer. But, but there's something about the pipe community that makes pipe smoking special for the modern era. And you just don't find that with cigars. Cigars is all about just chasing kind of the newest blend or getting one that's rare, et cetera. And it's more of a lone man sport. But for me, 2023 is just continuing to develop the community, making friends, getting into pipe shows, documenting things, taking a lot more photographs of the, of the hobby. Um, so that's, that's my interest. Perfect. And then we'll go back to uh, Fred Janusik. 
Fred, I know there's another new year coming up. You've only been around for most of them. Um, <laughs> what do you, what are you looking forward to for, uh, 2023 pipe wise? Well, first of all, I hope I make it through. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a hope. Actually, in, eight, in the next year, I would like to add one or two more, you know, really top of the line pipes. Uh, something like the one that Brad made for me here. And I would also <laughs> love to find a tobacco that I like more than the one that I've been smoking for 40 years now. And I haven't been able to yet. I smoke <laughs> what used to be called Dunhill, Light Flake and Stout Peterson Flake. And for some reason, I just keep going back to that no matter what I try. I, uh, I have others that I like, but not nearly as much as this one. There was one once that I really loved, and unfortunately it went away. It was a GBD Mariner Flake that had a little rum flavor to it. And I've never found anything like that anywhere. I'd like to find something like that. I guess I'd be happy then. Wow. 50 plus years of pipe smoking and still looking at new tobaccos. Yep. There you go. All right, Tad Gage, what are you looking forward to for 2023? Uh, I think I'm probably looking forward to just hopefully trying to pick up another interesting pipe or two from uh generally from american makers is kind of my is kind of my thing uh i have a really great collection of old english uh uh pipes barlings and you know pretty darn good collection and they're great smokers and stuff and what i've really enjoyed doing is trying to find the the occasional piece that that i can afford and that really trips my trigger made by uh you know made by people who i know pipe you know pipe makers i know and or whose work i really respect and uh and and then kind of smoking down more of my stock that i have saved up <laughs> don't don't leave the world with any unopened tins absolutely not no yeah can't take it with you all right rob Rob Capuccio, you're already in the future for most of us because you're a day ahead of us, but what are you looking forward to for next year? It's funny, like just listening to those first few answers and I'm like, yes, that's that's what I uh, <laughs> I find that a lot of the ideas resonate. Um, I want to get more pipes from, not that I need more pipes, but I want to get more pipes from people that I have relationships with or that I, that I admire or that I have... Um, uh, you know, good friendships with, um, because I find that when I sit down and load a bowl, that it means more, it tastes better for some reason, um, you know, knowing who made it and that they made it with me in mind. Um, the answer that Tad just gave really resonates with me. I've got some, you know, really good stuff that I've been saving for a special occasion. And I'm like, no, no, start smoking that stuff. I really want to start smoking the good stuff rather than putting it aside and, uh, you know, by the time I get to it, if I get to it, um, it may not be at its best. So I want to do more of that. And um, I also want to make sure that, and and you advocate for this quite a bit on your show, and that is I want to be seen in public more and try and introduce people to the fact that this is not something that should be condemned 
that it's actually different. It's different to the, you know, cigarette smoking and all of that stuff. I'm not casting judgment on cigarette smokers, but I'm just trying to uh, make sure that we don't end up with an industry where young people, well, not an industry, but a hobby or an interest where young people feel like it would be, you know, reprehensible to even think about smoking a pipe. I'd like there to be a little bit of curiosity um, and and interest. That's how I got into it. Um, I went from cigars to pipes just through interest. And it's no surprise there are a lot more cigar smokers than there are pipe smokers. And I think just getting those people a bit more curious would be really beneficial um, and get them to pipe shows. Well, especially at uh, Australian prices for cigars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and the, uh, the online community is huge. And I know that a lot of the, um, you know, a, a lot of the online community is generally people in their 20s, 30s and 40s. But I want to I make sure that people who are older than that realize that it's, there's a whole, you know, it, it's a treasure of information and photography and stories and uh, Rich Esserman does a great job of, you know, advocating that you, it doesn't matter how old you are, get on the, you know, get onto the social media and start sharing your knowledge. Um, young people are interested and I think it's really important to do that. All right. And we'll move over to the, uh, to the evil Dr. Strange of the show. Cause while we were talking George was sitting there with Hoover, the cat on his lap, stroking him <laughs> slowly. And Hoover's a regular visitor on the, uh, on the stream here. Uh, George, what are you looking forward to in 2023? Oh, uh, Neil Osborne doing what he has proved he can do. Uh, big brain guy with amazing communication skills. And he's documenting things that have not been documented ever before and is not losing enthusiasm in that regard. In fact, his plans keep getting bigger. <laughs> and uh, I'm very much looking forward to see what he comes up with over the next 12 months. And uh, Dino, um, I, I feel like I should sit on your lap and ask you for something for Christmas, but that won't work for me. <laughs> Uh, no, but, uh, what are you looking forward to next year? One staying upright <laughs> and being able to smoke some of the blends that I've stashed away. I'm not looking for anything new. Mm -hmm. I have all the pipes. I think I need all the tobacco. I think I'll need for the rest of my life. But what I am, I think one of the greatest things that happened as a result of the, of the COVID pandemic was this this meeting of minds weekly and uh, kind of taking the place of some of the shows that got closed down. Yeah. I think Neil is right on target. It's the community that I look yeah. forward to. It's that, that camaraderie between pipe smokers, being able to share ideas, whether it's about pipes and tobacco or just about anything. And I find that exciting. And I look forward to your shows. Your shows are, I think, one of the cornerstones of our of our uh, pipe smoking community. And the articles that some of you guys write for various the various magazines. There's only one or two left, but uh, you know, I love reading uh, Rich's stuff. I love reading uh, Mike Zika's stuff and all of the things that are there. So I look forward to just a continuation of this camaraderie, this uh, this 
community of pipe smokers. And we are a, a, an interesting community. <laughs> we come from all kinds of backgrounds, all parts of the world. You know, there's guys on this Zoom from Australia, from, you know, Argentina. And, and it's just a wonderful thing from Mexico and uh, even from New York, which is, you know, so strange. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what I look forward to more than anything, continuing this camaraderie and uh, continuing these discussions and maybe anything that I can add to those discussions. And uh, and speaking of New York, Pete, <clears throat> what are you what are you looking to in, in your four hundredth year here on the planet? <laughs> uh, well, uh, first of all, I'm very interested in working with some of the young smokers, which I've uh, started to do. Uh, pretty much uh, guiding them the right way in pipes, maybe giving them pipes and tobacco, and getting them excited about uh, pipe smoking. And uh, I, I think that's the best gift that we all can give back to the uh, hobby that we've had all these years. And uh, uh, in doing it, remembering who the people who did it for me was, like Tom Caldwell. That was the, one of the guys who did it for me, or, or, or um, Jack O'Driscoll, somebody like that, uh, that really, you know, brought me into this and brought me upright and um, you know, I, I would like to do that for as many people as I possibly could now to give it back. That was actually nice coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised me. Oh. Well uh, done, Levine. Well done. Thank you. Uh, un Uncle Ronnie, what are, you, what are you looking forward to? I know smoking all that good stuff before I can get to it, right? <laughs> well, that may or may not happen. Um I got uh, pipes wise and tobacco wise. I'm like Dino and Tad. I'm not looking anywhere else. Don't have to. However, uh, the comments about community, um, I can echo hundred percent, especially with the zoom pipe club. But the more important thing for me has been the deep friendships that I have, uh, developed over the years. Um, I, uh, I live by myself. I, my, what's left of my family is 500 miles away, and that's okay. But I have gained some of the most beautiful friendships that I could ever ask for in a human being's lifetime through the pipe community. And there are several uh, right here on this uh, screen right now, uh, a few more that uh, uh, sometimes appear and sometimes don't. But um, I have come to learn the value of friendship and being able to go beyond uh, what are you smoking or how's this pipe, you know, but to really start to learn uh, the depth of another human being and to find somebody that uh, I can not only share the good times with, but uh, Boy, if my ass is falling off, I know that when I make that phone call, I can find somebody that will listen to me uh, without condition and won't be judgmental. And uh, I cannot put a price on that. It, it, it's, it's, it's beyond uh, description. And, and, and even beyond that, for this year, I have a few uh, pipe, what I call pipe acquaintances that we're conversational and, you know, we can either meet on here or 
or on by phone or whatever. But um, like in the case of Rob, I finally got WhatsApp. So now when I get <laughs> off my dead ass, I can actually ring him up. If I choose to and have a nice conversation. And, uh, you know, that's the stuff that has true value to me. And I realize that if I'm going to be able to experience the happiness of friendship, I need to put the effort in. I can't sit here and say, okay, uh, well, I haven't talked to uh, Neil in a while. Uh, gee, I wonder what's wrong, you know, or, uh, oh, what time is it over? I just need to pick up the phone call. And if uh, I don't get an answer, I can leave one of my stupid, uh, goofy uh, voicemails and uh, either piss them off or get a get a call back. But, you know, that to me is the joy of life today, is the friendships of uh, being able to enjoy the humanity of somebody that I consider the salt of the earth. And that's what I'm working on for 2023. Well, between you and Pete, I'm going to cry. So we're going to get over to Dave real quick and wrap this up. Dave, Dave Peterson, hey. what are you looking forward to in 2023? Well, besides the obvious Las Vegas International Pipe Show, I'm looking forward to uh, St. Louis will be coming up soon in uh, early February, middle February. And then Chicago will be here before you know it. I've already got my room reserved. So hopefully I'll see everybody at a pipe show. But I got a big pipe from a, from a guy who was actually... But really my first or second commission I've ever done, and I can't stand to have one pipe. So I've already got him, uh, you know, I want more. I want more of these pipes, and I've got him, hopefully hopefully he can make some make that happen. But otherwise, yeah, I'm just trying to, uh, I'm, I'm gravitating towards bigger pipes. I got more time. I've got plenty of time to smoke, and I really want to get bigger pipes more. But uh, as far as the Costellos, you never know what's going to, you know, that's the thing. You think you've got them and then you're going to find something on eBay. So, um, yeah, but I'm just really looking forward to seeing more people next year and uh, enjoy the just hanging out with everybody. So, guys, thank you very much. Happy uh, as we're recording this, it's Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Hey. Happy New Year. Thank you all. <laughs> Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, Savinelli produces high quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, moral of the story, there's multiple morals in there to take, but I think the biggest one is, uh, you know, keep... Keep moving forward, keep looking forward, keep trying new stuff, keep looking for your magical mixture, and enjoy the moment that we're in. All right, and speaking of the moment that we're in for music, another double dose of holiday music because I got a whole bunch of uh, good suggestions. So this first one is from Dennis, and Dennis says, Don't know if Gordon Lightfoot is a pipe smoker, but his circle of steel is a Christmas heartbreaker. 
So here we go. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot and Circle of Steel. In a circle of steel Where you place your bets On a great big wheel High windows flickering down Through the snow A time you know Sights and sounds Of the people going round Everybody's instead With a season A child is born To a welfare case Where the rats run That's how it goes The doctor's found on his welfare rounds And he comes and he leaves on the double Deck the halls was the song they played In the flat next door where they shout all day She tips her gin bottle back till it's gone The child is strong a week, a day, they will take it away For they know about all her bad habits Christmas dawns and the snow lets up And the sun hits the handle of her heirloom cup She hides her face in her hands for a while Says, look here, child, your father's pride was his means to provide any servant three years for that reason. Rows of lights in a circle of steel where you place your bets on a great big wheel. High windows flickering down through the snow. A time you know, sight. And sounds of the people going round Everybody's instead with a season That is one I have uh, never heard And uh, thanks to uh, Dennis for sending it in And we'll finish off uh, the Christmas music With my favorite, Burl Ives and uh, I don't think I've played this one before. It's Winter Wonderland. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He'll sing a love song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman then pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, 
Are you married? We'll say no, man. But you can do the job when you're in town. And later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in a winter wonderland. In the meadow, we can build a snowman. Say, are you married? We'll say no, man. But you can do the job when you're in town. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in a winter wonderland. It might be my age, but when I think of Christmas and Christmas songs, Burl Ives is the first name that comes to mind. Well, let's see what's in the mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. That's the best way. Or you can uh, send me a message through Facebook or Instagram. And while you're there, make sure and follow me on Facebook and Instagram and all that fine stuff. Uh, but the best way is Brian at PipesMagazine.com. If you're interested in uh, having your ad placed on this show, that's Kevin at PipesMagazine.com. Kevin handles all that fun stuff. I have nothing to do with it, and I'm very happy about that. Uh, so going back to last week's show with Rich Esserman, uh, J.M. Smitty writes, Good afternoon, Brian. Really enjoyed the show with Rich, and I'm very much enjoying as I am also enjoying the current tobacco production conversations, the format of answering Fred's questions. Uh, I always enjoy listening to the opinions of such esteemed colleagues who have been in the hobby for many years. However... I'd love if this type of questioning segment continued into hobbyists of the following generation, individuals who have been in the hobby for maybe 10 plus years, but not as long as Rich or Fred. I mention this both for your consideration and also that this group probably has very different opinions on these questions. I didn't come into the hobby during the uh, BCD era <laughs> and, and look at many and look at many of these answers not with skepticism but with completely different perspective nevertheless always a good show when you come away with such thoughts always enjoy your holiday based raves take care brian <laughs> thanks jason appreciate that uh, let's see uh casey ghost route a uh, pretty decent episode i don't remember exactly the question jeff answered but it seemed that he did a good job handling it <laughs> um, rich's discussion of fred's part of the deal was entertaining though at times confusing it seems like rich starts out talking about fred's point then he wanders off on his own of course it could be my lack of attention span uh not surprisingly i didn't like the first piece of music but the second one i enjoyed well there you go if we play two pieces of music one of them might get Casey Ghost. Uh, and then Dino writes, It's fascinating to hear what a pipe maker like Jeff thinks with reference to draft holes, bits, and buttons. And as you both say, what works for you is best. 
this theme was carried through by Rich in an engaging conversation that made crystal clear the notion that there are too many experts who insist that their way is the only way. You and Rich rightly say, again, what works for you. Keep what doesn't discard. <laughs> Amen. You know, keep <laughs> what works for you. Keep what doesn't discard. Amen. Uh, the faux Rolling Stones song, It's Christmas Time, was clever, but as much as I like the Stones and parodies, I wasn't all into this. <laughs> okay. And Cat uh, Yonke's Oh Holy Night was quite lovely. While her own compositions are achingly beautiful, her covers of music from all genres are just amazing. Thanks to Steve for suggesting this, and thanks, Brian, for playing it. A great closing message and song. Uh, and then he wrote, uh, Merry Christmas in Greek, and I'm not even going to try that. So there we go. Thanks, Dino. Uh, and then, uh, Guy writes, hi, Brian, festive greetings. I was listening to the past, to a past podcast of September, 2017, when you interviewed a Kevin Godby. It was the show's fifth year anniversary, and you suggested doing another with him in the 10th year. I was wondering on whether there will be a follow-up with the gentleman anytime soon. It would be good to know whether his tobacco tastes have changed since, uh, not to mention his take on the evolution of the show since. All the best, Guy, on a train from Edinburgh to London. Wow. Uh, Kevin and I discussed it, and we thought, nah, it might just be a rehash of pretty much the fifth-year show. Anyway. Uh, and then also, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again because it's kind of cool. Uh, there's a thread on Pipes Magazine under the radio show where uh, a couple of listeners of the podcast have shared their uh, their Spotify year in review numbers. And uh, IJ Gaming uh, apparently spent 2,729 minutes listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. That's 2,729 minutes. And uh, DanWill84 uh, had uh, 3,435 minutes. So all I can say is, wow. Yeah, hard to believe. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Follow me on all the socials, as the kids call it, Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on Twitter anymore, although I think I might still be there, but I don't check it. Uh, not uh, not in angry people uh, but uh, yeah follow me and uh, rave time coming up next ah the holidays and pipe collecting a grand tradition indeed and there's no better place to celebrate a grand tradition than at tinbids.com the pipe collector's auction site Find that perfect gift for yourself or that special pipe collector on your list. Or sell those tobaccos, pipes and accessories to make room for those new Christmas arrivals. Your favourite things await you at tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site. Cheers and happy holidays from your friends at tinbids.com. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869.
Cowboy. Cowboy. If you've got young ones listening to the show right now, well, you shouldn't, but uh, if you do, cover their ears, cover their ears, because I'm going to talk about the true Santa's helpers, all right? Here's a shout-out to all the true Santa's helpers, or uh, Hanukkah Harry's helpers, so make sure and cover those little ones' ears, because I'm about to talk about the true Santa's helpers, all right? Christmas has come and gone, Hanukkah is over, and if you got a gift, unless you handmade it yourself, odds are that it was purchased uh, and delivered, or purchased and picked up. So, the true the true Santa's helpers, and the shout-out goes to, well, first of all, all those delivery drivers, all those drivers that do deliveries, Postal Service, USP, you know, UPS, all those people... So a big shout out to them for surviving another holiday season. Uh, retailers, any of you, anybody go into a brick and mortar retail store? Well, a shout out to all those people that worked the holiday season and having worked retail a couple of holiday seasons, I can tell you, yeah, you're tired at the end of it. Uh, and then uh, finally, a shout out to all the real santa's helpers and hanukkah harry's helpers well those are you those are you parents that make uh, christmas really really the magical season that it is where uh dreams and gifts show up and come true and you know you have a you just have a magical morning as a little kid when the gifts show up and there they are so again a shout out to the uh you know to the delivery drivers that deal with all the traffic and all of our packages the retailers that put those you know that stock the shelves and to you parents that make it all come true so big shout out to all of you all right uh you know again i hope you enjoyed the zoom meeting with uh with my pipe you know with my guys uh, i hope you got some insight into that uh, i want to thank all of them for taking time out of their christmas eve to uh, sit down and record with me Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy Remember, it's pecan. Pecan is the thing Kevin Godby's scared of.